three. Hey everyone, it's Dr. Tim and Hillary for another session of the Dr. Tim's Aquatics podcast. How are you doing today, Hillary? I'm doing good. I'm sitting here drinking my coffee as we talk. Yeah, I'm sure it's really cold there in Vegas. <laughs> I think like the afternoon kick. We usually do these things in the morning and I'm drinking coffee in the morning, but it's like 2.30. Yep. Time for more coffee. We both just got back from... Uh, the Reef of Palooza in Chicago, not too bad of a show. It was a fun time. Getting back into the swing of things. Oh, yes. And now next week, Aquashella down in Dallas. And you guys, you guys, it's going to be such a fun time. You need to make sure you go by the booth. I won't be there, but Tim and Susan will be there, and there's an excellent surprise. So you need to make sure that you show up and take photos and tag us on social media so I can see them. And maybe Hillary will pick a winner and uh, we'll send you some swag or something. Yes. Oh, speaking of swag, and I meant to ask you this, do we have any extra t-shirts from Reefa Palooza? I have one or two larges. All right. Maybe we could do that because I posted a photo of that on Instagram. They were very, very popular. People kept asking where they could get them. I was like, unfortunately, we're not selling them. It's part of Reef of Palooza, but if you have an extra, maybe we can uh, give away an extra shirt. And where you can get them, of course, is go to Reef of Palooza. We are the yeah. t-shirt sponsor for the next couple of Reef of Paloozas. So the first 500 people a day, I think what they do, um, it's in the swag bag that you get. Okay, so, so there you go. So there, there's, there's possibilities. Um, I don't know the dates of the Reef of Paloozas. We can look that up, right? Yeah, we can look it up. I think Orlando is the next one. Yeah, I don't know when it is. Probably April. It's always in April. And then uh, New York, and we'll see. But yep, there's uh, T-shirts to be had. You just need to show up at Reef of Palooza and say hi. Wear your T-shirt and say hi. and Maybe we'll give you some more swag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So today's topic is algae the bane the horror yes. play the cue the halloween screams right exactly it's a perfect topic for like halloween's in what, a week and a half it's a yeah. perfect topic yeah <laughs> uh and halloween is that weekend at dallas that we did uh aquashella so you never know what might show up the horrors so <laughs> algae nobody wants it but uh, we all deal with it <laughs> Yeah, everyone has to deal with it. And if you're an algae culturist, the person that wants it, as uh, Murphy's Law goes, you try to grow it and you probably couldn't, but don't want it, don't want to grow it, it's probably coming out everywhere. And that's <laughs> what we're going to talk about today, because there are few things that um, you need to understand about, about algae and, how, and your tank and how to limit it. So let's jump right in. All right. Uh, first off, you have to be able to distinguish the types of algae because if you're growing, you know, your algae kind of just bees, it just kind of any of this crud that's growing in the, in the tank that you don't like. But it could be cyanobacteria, which is a bacterium, or dinoflagellates, which is not even, a, you know, it's not an algae, it's not a bacteria, it's something else. And those, they're definitely pests, but uh, different ways of getting rid of them to a certain extent 
compared to algae. Um, algae is usually when you have a lot of organics, a lot of nutrients, and a lot of light. Now, you might think, oh, well, that's dinoflagellates, but it's not. Dinoflagellates, 98 out of 100, 99 out of 100 cases are when you have low nutrients or no nutrients. If somebody comes up to me at a show and says, you know, it shows me a picture and it's dinoflagellates, I'll pretty much say your nitrates and phosphates are low or non-measurable. And they look at me and it's like, yeah, that's great, right? Nope, we've had that discussion before, so we won't revisit it. But algae is usually when you have an excess of nutrients. Yes. And what do we mean by ex excess? You know, your nitrates up in the 40, 50 and higher, your phosphates one and two and three, not 0.1 or 0.01, one, two, and three, um, you're probably growing algae. And what do you think the most common type of, is it just the green or the black beard algae? It kind of depends on whether they're talking freshwater or saltwater, maybe. That's a good point. Because um, a lot of times uh, you get this stringy algae on the leaves of freshwater plants. And in an aquarium, you might have the algae, the green, the green algae or the, the, the beard algae growing on the uh, glass. And it's kind of two different things. Um, but the overall fix is one, check your light cycle. You have to remember, like right nowadays, I mean, it's only daylight, what, eight? hours a day up here in North America, you know, down by the equator, 12 hours. But a lot of people turn their lights on to have a timer and turn their lights on at like 6 a.m., 7 a.m. in the morning because they want to check the tank maybe before they go out to work or school or it's morning and the tank want to check it. And they'll keep their lights on until 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night. That's, that's a long time. I, Real I, long time. Yeah. Um, and if, if you're, you know, may, maybe your schedule is such that you're not sure and you're making the assumption your lights are going on and off. If all of a sudden you've had a breakout of algae, check your timer. Maybe it's something's wrong with it and the lights aren't going off at all. So that's something that's more common than you might think where uh, the lights are just on too long. The other thing is... If you're using the fluorescent uh, tubes, they don't last forever. They may light and give off a light, but they can um, switch, especially if you're using cheap you know, tubes from Home Depot, wouldn't recommend that or other places. Um, the, the wavelength switches because of the phosphor, we won't get into the technical, but if, you're, if your lamps are over, your fluorescent tubes are over a year old, I would consider changing those. I mean, about a year is about what you can get from them, and then they switch, and you can start uh, growing algae that way. You know, that's how one of the times, like the tanks at work that I took care of, that's how I always knew. I was like, what is going on in this tank? And then sure enough, like it would have escaped my attention, and like I was several months past 
times change the light. So that's always a good indicator. At least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause you know, you might be doing a lot of things to limiting nutrients in this and that, but you have to look at the physical first start there. Is your timer working? You know, what's how many hours? Never more than 10 really. Um, what's my, uh, uh, how old are my um, lamps? And then next, uh, if you're running one of the, you know, if nowadays lamps with the LEDs are, can get quite sophisticated and you can have it running from your phone and control and things like that. And I found most people are running the blue wavelength, blue channel, way too high. Unless you have corals that demand a lot of light or your tank is really deep, 24 inches or, or more, 30 inches, you don't need to run that blue at 100%. 50, 60%, you know, dial it back down. Your corals will tell you whether you're getting too low, but there's really no reason to be running, in most cases, the blue channel at 100%. And that's something I feel like we've told, at least I know personally, like sending out messages when people write, a, write in and ask what the issues is. A lot of times it's that blue light being up way too much. Right, because people don't talk about this, but you have to remember if, if you scuba dive, um, why does water look blue when you're down there? If you, you know, cut yourself, your blood is green, not red. And that's because the blue light penetrates the deepest. And our eyes are adjusted for white light. So you might think, well, this looks fine, but you're actually putting uh, too much energy, the photons from the light into the aquarium and not, organisms, photosynthetic organisms are not evolutionarily designed to run at full capacity, you know, 10, 20 hours a day. Think about it in nature, the sun comes up slowly. You've got the sun at the highest point at noon, and then it ramps down. So there's you know a wavelength which which you can put you know you, you can design into your timer, especially with all the modern tools for controlling your lighting. You can ramp it up, have an intense period for a couple hours or so, like the noonday sun, and then ramp it down before you know you you turn everything off. And that more mimics nature. The sun isn't out there 24 hours a day with 100 percent intensity on all these organisms. And so why should we do that with our lighting system? But a lot of times people don't think about that. They just turn the lights on. That's true. Yeah. And, you know, depending on the corals we have, uh, a lot of the corals aren't, you know, they, they don't need that intense lighting or the symbiotic, you know, algae that are in there don't need that intense lighting for all the hours we give them. And you're basically just promoting algae growth. You're, you're almost begging the algae to start growing. Not something any of us ever want. No. So, you know, check that if you're having algae problems where they just came off suddenly and you know, your, your water quality is the same. You, you didn't, quote, do anything. You know, I didn't change anything and now I've got algae. As Hillary said, that's an indicator, you know, where she worked at the aquarium. That's like, oh, got to change the lamps. So, uh, you know, look at those physical things first and, and then start considering uh, water changes or where your nutrients are coming from. 
Um, and let's jump into that a little bit. One of the things that can uh, promote a sudden algae bloom is did you disturb the substrate? You've got in there and, and you haven't uh, cleaned the substrate in a long time and you're going, well, I'm not going to clean it all. I'm just going to clean part of it. But still, what you're doing is adding oxygen into that area. You're stirring up the nutrients. Uh, we've talked about the phosphate. It gets trapped down there. Now you stir things up and you're releasing organics that have all this phosphate stuck to it. Now they're up in the water, they've got oxygen, they're available for bacteria to break down for algae to consume. So that can be a, a cause, is just uh, a big tank cleaning. Luckily, phosphate's a relatively easy, this is the soluble reactive phosphate, the portion that the organisms use. Um, you can measure that. So if you clean your tank, do a you know, quick phosphate test the next day, and if it's really high, you know you need to do something to intervene to lower that level, water changes, or one of the chemical medias or something like that to get that phosphate down and out before the, before the algae takes over. Which, shameless plug, we have media. So if you need media and you have those issues, let us know. We can help you pick out which media you need. Yeah, we, we definitely uh, have a couple of varieties of phosphate removing media. Um, the, the other thing is we, we, we see this in uh, fish only tanks a lot. So you have a big fish only tank with some live rock, but you're, the, you're feeding a lot, just a lot of food and you're keeping the lights on. You know, we, we get this from maintenance people that are keeping uh, a tank in a doctor's or dentist office or something like that. Um, and it just grows lots of algae. And now what did they do? Well, it started growing a little bit of algae or maybe uh, the fish were uh, sick. We had, we had this conversation last weekend in Chicago. And so you put a UV sterilizer on there. So what's going to happen now? If you've got a big sterilizer on the system, running the water through there and exchanging through the system several times a day or an hour, you're, and it's a good UV, and that's a big but you know because there's there's uvs out there that are worthless and but there's there are good ones you've got a uv and it what's it doing it's killing algae and bacteria that are in the water that are circulating past the uv lamp what's it not doing it's not going to have any effect on any organism that grows on the substrate on a surface in the aquarium like the glass the, the rock, the substrate. So you're, you're basically eliminating a competitor to the algae. That is the, the organisms that live in the water that could consume these nutrients. So you're playing into the hand of algae if you've got a lot of nutrients. And that's why I say fish only tanks usually have a fair amount of nutrients because people don't really worry about it that much and they're feeding so much. And then they're using like UV. Was that? <laughs> I like you're calling me out. <laughs> yeah, been there, done that. We, we won't show tanks from my old office. Um, <laughs> but 
Uh, in fact, I think we had an email this week when I thought about UVs and I said there were a couple conversations. And if you've got a tank, we're going to take a little tangent here. If you've got a tank where you have to run the UV or your fish get, are going to get sick, I think the UV is a Band-Aid and you're not really dealing with the root cause. And generally what that root cause is, is that you have a biofilm uh, somewhere, so a, what's called a reservoir, where these pathogenic bacteria are living. And, and you have the UV on, the pathogenic bacteria are released out of the biofilm, they're in the water column, your good UV kills it, but then you turn off the UV and you know, the, the, the bacteria then can infect the fish. This happens like in zebra fish systems where they have a, a lot of fish and a lot of biofilm in the pipes. The pipes become coated and that coating or biofilm is basically a reservoir where these pathogenic bacteria can, uh, can live. No matter how much you sterilize the system, you know, a zebra fish system can literally have miles of PVC piping in it and it's very hard to clean. So if you can't run your system and keep your fish safe or you know, healthy without a UV, you probably have a biofilm issue and you need to consider the waste away, the waste away gel, big cleaning to get, get that material out of there because it's, it's just going to be healthier for your, your fish to do it that way. So back on uh, talking about algae, but a UV, like I said, it's eliminating the competitors. N nature adhors a vacuum. And, and when you add nutrients and light to water, something's going to happen. And in many cases, it's algae because we don't have the right controls or we're doing what we've talked about several, you know, almost every episode, the unattended consequences of trying to have this gin clear water is eliminating organisms that could compete for the nutrients. And when you eliminate those organisms, you grow algae. So um, that's the theory behind uh, algae scrubbers. Now this is putting algae to work for you where you have the algae on a, on a plate like an egg crate or webbing or something like that. And you grow the algae in the sump. Um, and then once in a while you take and you harvest, you scrape that algae out. So you're converting nutrients into algae, but now you have a way that you can easily remove and scrape the algae out of the system, thereby removing the nutrients. Have you ever read uh, Walter Addy's book? I have not. So algae scrubbers, uh, there was one at the National Aquarium there at the Smithsonian, and there's been one down in um, Australia. The, the concept is good, and they can work. The, the knock on them was that they produce a lot of, or, you know, dissolved organics that color the water, which, mm -hmm. which is true, but there's ways of controlling that. And if, if you've got so much algae growing that you're producing that much organic that discolors the water, might consider that you're overstocking your tank. Yeah. 
Yeah. So everything's got to balance. You know, it, you can grow so much bacteria that it can be bad too. It sucks, you know, it sucks a lot of the oxygen out of the water. So no, no filter method system is absolutely perfect. It, you know, there's pluses and minuses to everything. And um, you just have to cons- you just have to consider that and understand that, and then you can control it better and make your life simpler instead of just chasing issues. And, and a lot of times, I know Hillary, you're not going to want to hear this, but you're just not going to be able to have that fish. You know, you're going to have to limit yourself, right? I think I just need to limit the food. Really, yeah. that's not my problem is. <laughs> yeah, that that too. Um, I've been to plenty of public aquariums where the fish basically look like footballs with fins. Oh um, gosh. <laughs> that's not healthy for the fish. No. Um, so uh, you don't have to feed your fish all the time. You know, we make a food, but I'm telling you, you, you don't. And feed a, you feed a quality food less often than a poor quality food. Your fish will be fine. They'll have great colors. They'll be healthy. Um, you know, the fish and us can stand to eat a little less and exercise a little more. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was talking to somebody at Reef Palooza about like feeding and how often you should feed your fish. And it's crazy when I stop to think about it, like there's such a huge spectrum of like, I know people that feed three times a day. And I also know people on the far opposite end that maybe feed every other day. So there's a huge, huge difference. Right. I mean, and if you're keeping small, very active fish uh, on the saltwater side, damsels that are always swimming around freshwater, the zebra danios or cardinals, you know, little fish that don't have a lot of body mass, feeding small amounts frequently makes sense. But if you've got a big panther grouper or some of these huge cichlids that kind of just sit there most of the day, that's they just sit there because that's what they do. They don't really wander around the tank. Even if you have a big tank, they pretty much set up a ter- territory and sit there. You don't need to feed them that much. They're not burning that much energy because they're not doing that much. Nope. Eel, they'll eat. Come to mind. <laughs> What's that? eels are another one that come to mind yeah um i mean fish will fish associate you with food so when you appear they're going to come up especially if there's a lot of fish in the tank because they want to get their share but that doesn't mean that um you need to feed them um in fact my master's thesis was on feeding uh fish the frequency so should, should, should you feed once a day, twice a day, three times a day, five times a day? Sounds you know, like another podcast topic. It could be, definitely. Because, in fact, I, I saw some boards where people were talking about that. How often should you feed the fish? And the answer is not that often. It all Because then is how much you feed. You know, are you feeding? And, and we'll do that. We'll save the details for another podcast. but. Uh, it makes a difference how much you feed each time and how frequently you feed. And it also makes a difference on the amount of ammonia that's excreted at one time. Makes sense. So we'll put a teaser in there for the, that podcast. Like I've got it written down on my notes now. Okay. Um, so let's get back to algae. It's, it's, 
if if you you know everything's physically working well that we reviewed and you don't have that many fish and you're just like i can't get control of this well next consider how much you're feeding and also what you're feeding if you're feeding strictly pellets and flakes which are fine they're convenient realize that 50 60 percent or more of that is waste the fish may eat it but they don't digest it and they don't get any nutrition because fish don't have this enzyme called amylase that allows them to break down grains like wheat in most uh, flake and pellet foods have a fair amount of wheat in them because that's the binder that keeps everything in there keeps it the, sh the shape and so basically you're adding a lot of waste. So and I will say furthering that waste, but not like them eating it. I know there are certain pellets and I see this in my own tank you feed and only a small portion of them go down in the water column. A lot of them get, you know, go into the overflow and end up in my filter stocks and like just food, food waste, just sitting there before I can catch it. It's already in the filter stocks. Right. A lot of people want to feed that floating food and have the surface come up to, you know, fish come up to it. Um, not necessarily the best thing, but if it goes over to the overflow where nobody can eat it, what's going to happen? The bacteria are going to break that down or it's just going to start, what's well, going to be broken apart. And then the bacteria are going to break that down into ammonia, which is then going to become nitrate. And then there's also lots of phosphate because and I've, I've had this question many times. Well, can't you uh, design a phosphate-free food? In fact, a couple of years ago, there was a company out there. You know, we have a phosphate-free food. That's called cardboard. Okay, <laughs> Phosphate is the octane. It's like a gasoline for your car that has no octane. You know, there's a rating, that 93, 86, all that octane, depending on the, the engine you have. That's really what is the active ingredient of gasoline and the active ingredient of food to emit in many cases for cellular uh, function is phosphate. We need every extant organism, bacteria, archaea, humans, everybody needs phosphate. So your phosphate-free food is worthless. And on the other hand though, you don't need a food that needs tons of phosphate. You know, it's, it's a, it's a balance. So consider what food that you're feeding. If you're feeding a lot of frozen food, realize that uh, a preservative is phosphate. When they say that, you know, use quote a natural preservative or they don't use some of the uh, chemical preservatives um, that are unpronounceable. Well, one of them is phosphate. And that's why I always say that if you're frozen or using a frozen food, you should rinse that food or, or put it in, you know, a small container and then keep it in water and then rinse it before you put it in your tank, because you can be adding a fair amount of phosphate just from the preservatives that are in your frozen food. Yep. So then, okay, you're, you're feeding better, lights, all that's working well. well. How can we get rid of it? You've got the phosphate. Come on, tell us how to get rid of it. Well, it didn't get there in a day, and it's pretty much not going to get eliminated in a day. 
definitely not a fan of using chemical, you know, harsh chemical methods um, to get rid of algae. Um, those quick methods generally just produce a lot of unintended consequences, all of which are headaches. So it's a numbers game. Physically remove it, even to the point if you've got it in some live rock, take that live rock out and either um, wa wash it really well, scrub it really well, some type of a, a water vacuuming system you know, to hose it off. Um, and just physically, just physically removing as, as much of that algae as you can. If the algae comes right back, you clean the tank and the day later, there's a ton of algae. You need to bite the bullet and do lots of water changes. But also, again, if you can take your hand or, or something and stir up the substrate and you get a lot of a, a cloud of stuff, especially if it's black, You've got to clean that. Uh, there, that is a big reserve of nutrients that are going into your tank. And you have to realize, um, I talked about this earlier, all, all the test kits measure is what's called the soluble reactive phosphate, which, which is the ortho, the PO43 minus orthophosphate. That is a small portion. The other big, the big portion of the ortho, the SRPs may be 2% of the total phosphate in the system. The rest of the phosphate, that's organic. It's stuck to something. And it's as that something's being broken down, it's being released. So even if you say, oh, I don't have any phosphate, how can I be growing algae? But you know, the, your eyes show you and you're, you're growing a lot of algae. It's because you have a reservoir, the organic phosphate is, is just a huge amount. You have to have a special chemistry and some equipment to do that. But I can just promise you that you've got a bunch of organics in your system. There's a ton of phosphate stuck to it. And that's what's um, causing your problems. And you just need to basically do a big tank cleaning to, to reduce that reservoir, that hidden reservoir of phosphate. So you, do you get in and clean the substrates in aquariums, but you know, public aquariums? That's never thought about that. It depends on the tank. So the, the big tank, it's like 117,000 gallons. I think they went in, we did gravel vacuuming, um, maybe between two and four times a year. It depends on how much time they had. Right. But there's people in and out of the tank multiple times a day. So a lot of that stuff is getting stirred up anyway. There's a bunch of stingrays that are in the tank yeah, true, and a yeah. bunch of animals that like mess with the gravel. So, so let's say stirred up and yeah. gets removed that way. Yeah. Okay. Um, you, usually it's, it's, it's phosphates that are the problem. Nitrate uh, is generally not considered limiting. Um, but, but then as we've talked about, if you say, well, I'm going to get smarter than this algae and I'm going to sit, I'm going to make sure I've got no phosphate and no nitrate in the system. Well, then you're going to push it to something else because you can't limit the organic, you're feeding the fish. So unless you've got a fish tank with no water and no fish, and that's just a glass box, um, you have that potential for growing algae or shifting the system to dinoflagellates 
or cyanobacteria. And so it is like, it's not hopeless. It's all about patience and control. There's a finite limit to the amount of, or to the, the number of fish and organisms you can have in there of the producers. You know, they're producing pollution. They're producing waste. You have to balance that to the filtration system and the consumers. You know, some of the easiest tanks to run are strictly coral tanks with no fish that you're not why because you don't feed it you don't need to feed it maybe you throw some copepods in there or something like that but think about it you put some copepods a little bit of algae but you're not putting a lot of food in the system and then but then you start increasing the fish and increasing the food inputs and that's producing organic waste, which produces in, you know, nitrates and phosphates from nitrification. And that's when you start growing all this algae with these bright lights. Yeah. So, um, you can use, I mean, there's some, some liquid in, in a pinch if you need. There's, there's media like what we sell that will bind the phosphate. Um, some people say, well, it will release, but only with a big change in pH. And if your pH switches to those values, you've got bigger problems, um, like with the ion exchange medias and things. Uh, there's lanthium chloride that can bind it. Um, but it's mostly just getting rid of the, the sources, the organics feeding less and starving it out. So you've got the algae now you're physically removing it, you need to add back the competitors. This is the, the easier, takes longer, but long-term it's gonna be easier on you and, and your nerves is getting some bacteria back into the water column. So don't run the skimmer 24 hours, limit the lights, um, turn that UV off for a little while. This all allows bacteria in the water to grow and consume the nutrients. And yet, you know, this is one of the reasons we make the waste away because it has bacteria that are going to go in and break down those organics. Maybe you have a tank where it's just really hard to get in there and clean all the nooks and crevices and all the you know, live rock, why, why do you have that currents and all those wave makers and things behind the rock, rock work in other places? It's, as Hillary was saying, with the stingrays and people going into the aquarium, it's to stir all this organic material up so that it can be trapped in your mechanical filter. And then you can clean your mechanical filter, removing all this organics before it's converted the nutrients that can feed the algae. That's what you have to think about in these systems is just move some things around, look for some dead spots, make it easier to clean. A um, couple people I talked to this past weekend, they're running two and a half inch uh, coral beds. I, I don't know what your opinion is, Hillary. I don't like to go that deep. That just becomes a big trap. You know, unless you've got a lot of sand sifting or some organisms that that are in there all the time, churning that up, inch and a half is my recommendation. I, personally, I like to go deeper, but I like, I have the sand sifting critters that need it to be deeper. So yeah, that's, that's, 
yeah, it's kind of cool to see those, but that's, if you're going to go deeper, get those animals and, and use the whole, you know, use the sand and the substrate as a living thing, not just sitting there, right. uh, like having fish and organisms in, in all the different water columns, instead of just at the bottom or the lower part, get some stuff at the medium at the top, makes the tank more uh, alive. But if you're going to go a deeper uh, sand, you definitely need to get some organisms in there. And they're they're pretty cool to look at how they fight with each other. You know, one squirts, you know, spits out his sand into the hole of the other, and they got these you know neighbor wars that you can kind of. Oh, guys are uh, so fun. Identify. So with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, then you know, it it just realized that it's going to take a little bit of time to clean out the algae, get rid of the the sources of those nutrients. And uh, it, it'll, it'll go away, you know, and you can always email us at info at Dr. Tim's or on social, drtimsaquatics.com or social media, something like that. And we'll try to help you out. Uh, but generally the things that we covered today should get you on the road to your tank on the road to recovery and you back to sanity. There's a, there are reasons you're growing this algae and yep. they can be fixed. It won't fix in a day. Just be patient. <laughs> and change what you're doing you're, you're laughing Helen. i'm just thinking like it won't get fixed in a day we're coming up on the holidays and i always eat like a ton of food during the holidays and that holiday weight gain it doesn't go away fast because it didn't it happened over like the course of three months so it's similar to that hopefully it won't take you three months though it goes away never had that <laughs> <laughs> it's additive <laughs> maybe i should get more active okay so that that's uh, covering algae it it's it can seem like it is an insurmountable task, but it isn't. Just think about what we talked about. Don't forget the physical, the, the lamp and just the timers and stuff like that. Uh, look at your salinity levels uh, too. That, that can play, be important. And uh, you can conquer this. Don't give up. We're here to help. Okay. No. Anything to add, Hillary? I don't think so. Be All patient. Right. It'll happen. Yeah. Come say hi. Well, go say hi to Tim and Susan in uh, Aquashella in Dallas. You can't wait to see that, can you? I'm so excited. <laughs> they have a special surprise. I'm not going to tell you. You have to go and see it. Or if you're not at the show, I'm sure we'll have pictures for you on social media. Oh, boy. All right, everybody. This is Dr. Tim and Hillary. The end of another session of uh, Dr. Tim's Aquatics podcast. Thanks, everyone. And be safe.